0: Chapter 6. Agent Brown. It was a dream, but she didn't realize it until it was over. It wasn't over yet. Anne reopened her eyes and sat up in her bed. Despite the room being dark, her vision was only able to discern several shades of gray. This was indeed strange, since it was light outside her motel room. She looked around the room. Everything was still and quiet. Too quiet. Something wasn't right. It was if time itself was standing still, but with the lack of both sufficient sound and light. Standing up and walking to the bathroom, she realized all of her senses, except for hearing, were extremely acute. Every step and movement resulted in a high sensation of awareness. Anne-Marie stopped in front of the bathroom door when a strange feeling enveloped her. She quickly turned around and saw a small demon appearing and disappearing out of the grayish light, as if it was caught in some kind of limbo. Angered by the intrusion and audacity of the evil spirit, Anne Marie held her hands up, praying for God to empower her with strength. She prayed for God's power to infuse her hands so she could destroy the thing. The demon screamed in horror as it saw Anne Marie's palms turning white. It didn't want to to hear. It didn't even know how it got here. The person in front of it was definitely filled with the presence of God. The demon wanted to flee. Anne Marie felt her palms becoming hot. She prayed for the demon's destruction in the name of Jesus Christ. The demon screamed in pain and then exploded, emitting no sound at all in the grayish lit room. Aunt Marie heard the scream in her mind and was pleased with the power she had over the demon. Immediately, the verse from Mark chapter 16 verse 17 came to mind. Unexpectedly, four more demons appeared also caught in the same limbo. Without hesitation, Aunt Marie destroyed these four as the first. There were no more intrusions. Pumped with the level of authority God had given her, She inwardly desired to destroy more demons, and Marie heard a soft voice in her mind. God was telling her that he indeed gave her authority over evil, but at the same time warned her of stepping outside that authority and dwelling only on that power and not the originator of the power itself, God. With pride quenched before it could rise, she calmed herself and then wondered where she was. She looked around the room again. Everything was as it had been before the arrival of the evil spirits. Drawn again to the bathroom, she opened the door and was immediately transported to a burning hot desert. There was nothing around but sand, and Marie placed her hands over her brow, protecting her eyes from the sun. The transition from a dark environment to the full force of the sun temporarily blinded her. After her eyes adjusted, she saw in the distance a small book lying in the sand. She recognized it for what it was. Running as fast as she could, she grabbed her father's journal before falling to the ground. She cried as she embraced the book. Here was something that reminded her of her precious father, of the man who had meant so much to her during her younger years. Also, the fact that she actually obtained the journal without incident relieved her. After a while, she looked at the book, teary-eyed, and was about to open it when a booming voice rang out all around her. Hold, the pages of this book are not for your eyes. Looking around confused, she clutched the book tightly. Who are you? this book belongs to my daddy, my father. It belongs to me. No. And Marie Duquesne. The words in this book are only words to your eyes, but in the eyes of another these words are much more. Who? If not me, then who? Your son, Sean Duquesne, must receive this book. Only he has the ability to do what must be done. But you must first choose life or death, if you understand. No you will in time, do as the Lord commands. And Marie woke up in her bed in the same motel room. It was light outside. She looked at the clock and only one minute had passed since she decided to go to sleep. 4 PM. Agent Brown placed his FBI ID back in his jackets in her pocket. The Red Cross volunteer, a badly tanned elderly woman, looked at the other two agents, Mr. Redmond and Mr. Hoddad. Have you ever seen the television science fiction show with the man and woman FBI agents that, I'm sorry ma'am, Brown interrupted the woman, I don't want to be rude, but we must locate both Captain Trent and Mrs. Lisa Duquesne as soon as possible. The woman, shocked by the interruption, flipped through a pile of papers on her desk until she found Captain Trent's name. Sorry, just trying to make conversation, she mumbled, obviously irritated. Let's see. Captain Trent is in the local hospital. He seems to have busted his hand on something, so... She looked up smiling at Agent Brown. He's not here. What's the other name again? sighed. Duquesne. Lisa Duquesne. 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 How do you spell that? Redmond and Haddad shuffled uneasily. Agent Brown leaned closer to the woman. That's D. U. K. A. N. E. Duquesne. First name L. I. S. A. Lisa. Duquesne. Yes, let's see. Oh yes? She's with social services since no one picked her up yet, poor thing. Well, there's many in her situation. The cruise line is scrambling trying to find local hotels to put these people in, but there's just not enough room. Many of them will spend the night here in the high school gym. I see. Agent Brown said obviously not interested in her report of the passenger's unfortunate state of affairs. And where can I find Mrs. Ducane? She's with social services, like I said before. Ma'am, where is social services? Oh, it's in several rooms on the second floor, I think it's. Um, um, let me see. Brown straightened up. The woman was trying his patience. Oh, here it is, said the woman, finding the list of rooms being used in the high school rooms 201, 203, and 205. Brown turned and immediately headed for the stairs with Redmond and Haddad Hot on his trail. You're welcome, the woman mumbled, and you look nothing like the man on that TV show. As Brown walked up the stairs, he recalled his last conversation with his supervisor warning him of Lisa Duquesne's present state. Brown was to gather information, inform Lisa Duquesne of her present status with the FBI, And was ordered not to apprehend her yet he was informed of lisa's bodyguards and was told not to be surprised as she recognized his true affiliation the three looked through the windows of each door until they saw her talking to a woman from the red cross brown opened the door so they'll be here within a few hours the woman talking to lisa stopped looking at the three men with dark pressed suits entering the room they all carried an air of importance catching her off guard excuse me but this meeting is private, and Brown held up his hand, showed the woman his identification, and looked at Lisa Duquesne and her three humongous bodyguards dressed in white, their hands on their swords, ready to strike at the slightest hint of aggression, and with eyes ablaze, focusing solely upon him. Are you Mrs. Lisa Duquesne, wife of a Mr. Sean Duquesne? He asked, obviously knowing the answer. Lisa looked at the man, a darkness and a sick look covered his face. She remembered this look from the waiter on the ship and realized the man was not of God. Looking at the other two FBI agents, she saw no such darkness covering them. They were ordinary men just doing their jobs. Yes, I am, Lisa said to Brown. Excuse me, mister. The woman interrupted. Brown, Agent Brown. Fine, Agent Brown. I gather you'd like to talk to Mrs. Duquesne can you please give us a few minutes? Brown looked around the room. There were three ways out, out the window or out the two doors, on separate ends of the room. Lisa wasn't going anywhere. This is an urgent matter. What's your name? The woman remained silent. Fine. Brown continued. This is an urgent matter and must be handled with the utmost importance. The woman continued to stare at Agent Brown, unmoving in her last statement. Brown, realizing the woman wouldn't budge, conceded. We'll be right outside. The three men left the room and stood by the door, staring at the two women, always keeping them within their sights. Mrs. Duquesne and I, the woman glanced at the three FBI agents and shook her head. I'm sorry, but sometimes the people working for our government can be such jerks. Lisa gave a half smile. She was finding it difficult to find humor in many things lately. Okay, as I was saying, your pastor, Matthew Bunn, is on his way down with your two children. It was difficult for him to find an earlier flight, but they'll be here within a few hours. We were able to find two hotel rooms for your family and pastor, until you find yourself able to travel back. The woman paused to look at her sheet of paper. The local authorities already questioned you about your husband, and will contact you whether you're still here or back home if anything comes up. The woman handed Lisa a piece of paper. Here's the information on the hotel. If you wish, you can go there now and relax. We'll get a driver to take you over and tell your family where you are. Or you can wait here for them. It's up to you. I'll wait. Okay. The woman looked at the FBI agents. The urgency on their faces told her they would soon interrupt her meeting again. Do you want me to stay? These characters look a little too serious for me. Lisa glanced at the FBI agents. Can you wait for me outside the door? I don't think they'll want you in here. The woman nodded. No problem. When the woman stood up, the door flew open, and the FBI agents entered the room. Thank you. We'll be talking to Mrs. Duquesne in private, please, said Agent Brown to the woman. I'll be right outside the door, she answered. That's not necessary. We're FBI agents from the Right outside the door, Agent Brown. The woman interjected as she left the room, closed the door, and stared at the FBI agents. She gave them the same kind of respect they gave her. Brown sighed, then smiled at Lisa. Moving slowly and carefully, he sat down in the chair where the woman had been sitting. With his peripheral vision, he saw the three angels poised for battle. One false move and he was dead. He had to play this right. Misses Lisa Duquesne. For the record, is that your name? On cue, Both Redmond and Haddad produced pads and pens and started taking notes. Yes. Before we start, everything I ask you will be on record. If you feel uncomfortable answering any questions, you have the right not to do so, but in doing so you open up the possibility of another visit or an official questioning by the FBI. You understand? Yes. Fine. Brown smiled. Are you the wife of a Sean Duquesne, son of an Anne-Marie Duquesne? Yes. Are you aware of Mrs. Duquesne's whereabouts? Yes. Where is she? I'm right here. Smiling again, Brown turned his head to his assistants and shook it. The two scratched out the last response. I'm sorry, I meant to you know where Mrs. Anne Marie Duquesne is. No. Mrs. Duquesne, where are your children? They're on their way here to meet me. I see. Brown paused. Her answer was too quick, without hesitation. She obviously didn't care if he knew where her children were. Then why did Anne Marie work so hard in hiding them? Are they coming alone? No, my pastor is bringing them down on an airplane. Lisa looked at the man before her and wondered when he was going to ask the real questions. So let's see, he said slowly. They've been with your pastor for how long? Since the time my mother in law left them. Oh, right. He scratched his eyebrows. Mrs. Duquesne, do you remember what happened to your husband? Here it comes, bought Lisa. I was knocked unconscious and don't know what happened to Sean. Mrs. Duquesne, please bear with us. I must ask you some hard questions next. I know it's hard to talk about your husband at this time, but we're just doing our job. At that moment, Brown's phone rang. He answered it. Excuse me, Agent Brown here. Yeah, great. What's the address and room number? All right, bye. Brown looked at Haddad and motioned for him to come closer. He whispered into his ear, and Haddad was out the room, down the stairs, and on the way to the hospital in an instant. Sorry for the interruption, Brown said to Lisa, forcing a smile again. Little did he know that his smile was no more than a sickening, diseased snarl to Lisa. Where was I? Oh, yes, hard questions. Mrs. Duquesne, do you think that your husband's dead? Lisa looked away from Agent Brown and tried to compose herself. Her display of grief almost brought the social worker woman back into the room, but she stopped when she saw Brown's hand to leave him alone. Lisa took several deep breaths, then answered, I don't know. You don't know. And why is that? Shaking her head slightly, she replied, I don't understand your question. Mrs. Duquesne, why don't you know, if your husband is either dead or alive? I don't know because they haven't found him dead or alive yet. I don't know. What's so wrong with that answer that you don't understand?" She shouted back, angered. Brown saw all three angels pull their swords halfway from their sheaves. I'm sorry, but I just have a few more questions. No one else was in the room with you or your husband, right? Right. Were you awake at any time during the ship's fire? There was an explosion. Both Sean and me woke up. I jumped out of my bed, the ship rocked, I fell hard against something, and was knocked out. Right. Brown glanced at Redmond. Redmond came closer, causing Brown to shake his head. Redmond moved back. Mrs. Duquesne, are you part of a cult? What? That caught her completely off guard. A cult. Must I give you a definition from a dictionary? No. Brown paused. No to the dictionary or to the question? No to both. Really? Do you met your mother in law and Marie Duquesne belong to a cult? Lisa closed her eyes and took several deep breaths. Lord, she thought to herself, why is this happening to me? They're going to try to pin Sean's disappearance on me. She opened her eyes. No. Mrs. Duquesne, are you aware that your mother-in-law is wanted for questioning, but has fled your home and is now in hiding? For what? What's she wanted for? Asked Lisa, becoming irritated. That's a matter of no. I'm not pleased with where you're going with your questions. I know, Mrs. Duquesne, but please remember, I'm just doing my job. Well, your job stinks. Many may think so, but it's my job, and I have to do it. Anyway, Anne-Marie is wanted for questioning by the FBI. Brown paused, then motioned for Redmond to come closer. Agent Redmond, can you please play the tape? Redmond produced a microcassette from his pocket and played the tape in it. Evil is focusing on you too, and I don't know why, it said. Shocked, Lisa stared at the tape. That was Anne-Marie's voice from the conversation they had not too long ago. I assume that you recognize the voice on the tape, Lisa nodded. For the record, whose voice is it? My mother-in-law's. And for the record, what is her name? Anne-Marie Duquesne, all right, she conceded. Mrs. Duquesne, what was the nature of this phone call? I, I, can't say is that you can't say or won't say. Lisa remained silent. She was being led into a trap and knew it. Please answer the question. Why? If you got this on tape then, you know exactly what the conversation's about. That's not exactly why we're here, Mrs. Duquesne, said Agent Brown. Then why are you here, she asked. Brown shrugged. Okay. The FBI believes that you and your mother-in-law are part of a cult. Your beliefs are so extreme that you see enemies where there aren't and take the Bible out of context to meet your obvious abnormal purposes. You knew that your husband took you on this cruise only to tell you that he's going to divorce you and take custody of your children. You gave it one last shot to convert him to your cult, but weren't successful. You and Anne-Marie talked over the phone about the situation and reasoned to yourselves that Sean couldn't be converted because he was evil. The unfortunate accident on the ship gave you an opportunity to rid yourself of your husband. Therefore, not possibly losing custody of your children from a divorce. That's ridiculous. And you got all of that from a recorded conversation. You're mad, shouted Lisa. If you listen closely to that statement, you just played. It said evil was focusing on you too. Pass me and Sean. Agent Brown shook his head. I disagree. It clearly says you too. That's T. T-O. Oh. Lisa stared at Brown in disbelief. They were making something out of nothing. So you think that Anne Marie and I conspired to kill Sean? Yes, Mrs. Duquesne, that's why we're here. Swords fully drawn and ready to pounce, the angels glared at Brown. It's time to leave, thought Brown. He delivered the message. The grunts like Redmond could take care of the rest now. Get out, shouted Lisa. You have no right to sit there and accuse me of killing my husband. Get out. The social worker woman rushed into the room and stood between Lisa and Brown. This has gone on long enough. This woman has gone through too much to have you badgering her. You two have to go. Brown stood up. The angels took one menacing step toward him. Walking backwards, slowly and carefully, Brown motioned for Redmond to follow him. Mrs. Duquesne, he said, reaching for the door behind him. Until Sean Duquesne is found. We must regrettably say that you are the prime suspect in his disappearance. We highly recommend that once you've gotten your affairs, straightened out down here that you return to your home in Massachusetts, where an official questioning will begin. An agent will be secretly watching your every move to ensure that you don't try to leave the country. You'll be contacted shortly. Have a nice day. Brown and Redmond left the room. Tears flowed down Lisa's cheeks. What else can possibly go wrong now, she thought. The social worker woman embraced the sobbing ex-passenger. She felt sorry for Lisa. First, she lost her husband, and now she's being accused of his death. But if she really was a cult fanatic and killed her husband, then she deserved a chair. Lisa looked up at the woman. I changed my mind. I'll go to the hotel now. 4.35 PM. Agent Hoddad sat down next to Captain Trent's hospital bed took out his pad and pen, and stared at the captain expectantly. Well, Haddad raised his hands. What happened? What? said Trent, shocked by the question. He lay still in his bed, his blood filled with pinklers due to the minor surgery performed on his hand. Captain Trent didn't understand why the FBI would be interested in what happened to the cruise ship when both the Coast Guard and local authorities had already drilled him. Did you get the report from either the Coast Guard or local sheriff? I'm sure our people have acquired that information, but nevertheless, you must be questioned by one of us. Haddad put the pad and pen back into his jacket and produced a microcassette from another pocket. He placed it on a nightstand and smiled. Anytime you're ready, the tape's running. Captain Trent didn't know who this agent, what behind the ears, was but decided to cooperate since he didn't want any undue suspicion focused in his direction. Okay, I woke up early in the morning when the ship was rocked by an explosion. It must have been powerful since I was thrown across the room. Did you guys figure out what caused the explosion? Haddad stared at the captain before answering. Yes. Trent waited for the FBI agent to continue. But when he didn't, Trent asked again. What happened to my ship agent Haddad? Your ship had a major explosion on the lower level, causing an uncontrollable fire. Most passengers are accounted for. But there are still a few missing yes i'm aware of the explosion and the state of my past agent hot dad held up his hand we have an idea what may have happened but before i tell you i'd like your official version right now on tape trent nodded then told the agent everything that happened to him that day except of course for the dark agents the duquesnes and the beckmans he was sure the fbi agent wasn't part of them or he wouldn't be asking these questions is that everything asked the agent. Yes, Trent said, without hesitating. Haadad paused for a while. Have you ever met the Duquesnes? I believe they're passengers on your ship. Duquesnes, yes. How could I forget them? The man, what was his name again? Yes, Sean Duquesne. He almost had a fatal accident in Bermuda. They had dinner with me with some other passengers the other night. What was your impression of the Duquesnes? asked the agent. Where's he going with this? bought trent does he know something he shrugged um they seem like any other couple on vacation any signs of problems with what their marriage their marriage trent said slowly yes any signs of bad air between them no well i don't know mrs duquesne was very quiet she she was quiet yes she didn't talk much almost like she didn't want to be there and sean duquesne Oh, he was so excited about Mr. Beckman saving his life that day, he couldn't stop talking about it. The Beckmans? asked the agent. Yes. Cal Beckman saved Sean Duquesne's life when… Right. Hoddad interrupted. Sean Duquesne's life was saved, and he was very excited about it. But his wife? Was… Well, what do you say? Detached. Yes, said Trent. Agent Hoddad nodded. This was what he was really pushing for. Captain Trent, don't you find it peculiar that the only three passengers missing from the boat were associated with the previous accident on Bermuda? That the only person accounted for was the one who was detached at the dinner table and seemed, well, maybe upset that her husband was alive sitting next to her at the dinner table. Wait, what? The Beckmans, Cal and Catherine, and Sean Duquesne are missing. We've witnesses who said they saw them a lot together, from every statement. We get different versions, but one similarity was that Lisa Duquesne didn't seem happy or comfortable. Don't you find it curious that this person is the only one accounted for? Trent thought. They're building a case against Lisa Duquesne for the disappearances. Ingenious, that should definitely break her. But Trent didn't want part of it. He wanted to disappear and resume his role of sleeper again. He didn't like being active. Agent Haddad, there's hundreds of passengers on the ship. Surely you don't expect me to focus on just one. Did she seem extreme to you? The agent asked. Extreme? Religiously extreme, said Haddad. The image of Lisa Duquesne's protectors came to Trent's mind. He shivered. No. Agent Haddad saw Trent shivering. He was about to pursue this when Agent Brown entered the room and nodded to Haddad. Haddad, said Brown. Brown. Agent Haddad answered, turning off the microcassette. Can I see you for a minute? asked Brown. Yes, sir, answered Haddad. Trent watched as the two stood by the door exchanging words before Haddad returned and picked up his microcassette. Agent Brown has just a few more questions for you, he said to Trent. Thank you and get well soon. Trent nodded. When Haddad left, Agent Brown closed the door and then sat down next to Trent. Brown smiled. Been a long day, huh? Trent nodded not knowing what to expect. Agent Brown was obviously the agent in charge. I'm tired. Can we keep it short? said Trent. Brown looked at the captain. You are Captain Sullivan Trent, are you not? Yes, I am. Brown shook his head and took out a pad and pen in order to look official. Lisa Duquesne's being set up for the death of her husband and the disappearance of the Beckmans. You're still on call. Still on what? Was he one of them? thought Trent. We were able to dump the body of the dark assassin overboard. It was badly burned, but the evidence is gone. We're in the clear. You're please try to keep up. Agent Brown sighed. I know you were promised your original status, but we can't afford for you to be a sleeper at this time. We need you to be active and testify against Lisa Duquesne. The charges won't stick, but our motives goes far deeper than that. Trent lowered his eyes this was the last thing you wanted how long for what how long will it take couldn't a signed testimony do agent brown smiled and pretended that the questioning was going well since the other two agents were watching outside the door listen to me you spoiled fat excuse for a human being you have a responsibility to do whatever is asked of you if you have a problem with that you know the consequences no trent pleaded i was only wondering if silence agent brown pretended to write something of significance in the pad i'm going to put my microcassette on and this is what you're going to say word for word i was told that you're a quick study so pay attention 5:05 oh, pm i really didn't have an opportunity to talk to lisa duquesne at length but from what i've seen of her i'm not impressed she seemed rather detached and depressed as if a heavy load was weighing her down I did overhear Katherine Beckman, complaining about how Lisa tried to convert her to her religious ways. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but to tell you the truth, I did really consider her a stable person. You know, borderline psycho. She seemed to load the ground her husband walked on. And the Beckmans, asked Agent Brown, the same. It was almost like, if you weren't with Lisa Duquesne, then you were against her. I surely hoped she didn't do anything to those nice people. Thank you, Captain Trent. That'll be all. We'll contact you shortly if we have any other questions. Click. Agent Brown stopped the cassette player and looked at the other two agents in the large black Cadillac they acquired some time ago. Redmond and Haddad smiled. How did you get him to talk so easily? Asked Haddad. I figured he'd take more coaxing. Come on, you know me, Brown answered, jokingly. When people see my innocent face, they can't help but to talk. The three laughed. Redmond turned around and started the car, heading back to the Red Cross Center at the local high school. Agent Brown looked at his watch and smiled. He figured at this time Trent should be having an unwarranted emergency surgery that would permanently silence him. Another loose end taken care of, he thought. The surgeon shook his head as he started to cut away the larynx from the patient and then placed him onto a stainless steel pan. A shame that cancer took this poor man's natural voice away the surgeon thought all right let's close him up he said to his assistant the assistant smiling behind her mask handed the surgeon the needle and dissolving string used for internal stitches little did the surgeon know that the sterile equipment had been exposed to a highly resistant strain of tuberculosis once the surgeon was finished he looked the chart okay let's get mr austin prashit back to his room the poor man said the surgeon. What's wrong, doctor? asked the assistant. The doctor shook his head. Sometimes you can't help but feel for some of these people coming our way. The poor guy survived the disaster of that cruise ship with just a busted wrist, but was found to have a more serious problem. Poor guy, said the assistant, trying to sound sincere at not truly caring about the surgery just performed on Trent. The Coast Guard helicopter flew over the waters of the Atlantic in search of the mysterious boat, previously hooked onto the back of the cruise ship, that so many passengers had seen when they jumped for their lives. There were several helicopters, such as this one, searching the area. Some were flown by Coast Guard personnel, others by the Navy. If there were such a boat in the area, there is no possible way it could escape. However, it hadn't been found yet. Other boats were sighted and even questioned but none matched the description of the mysterious one. The captain of the schooner, Sea Skimmer, picked up his receiver as the Navy helicopter flew overhead several times waiting for the ship to respond. This is the Sea Skimmer. How can I help you? Sea Skimmer, this is First Lieutenant, more of the United States Navy. We're searching for a 50-foot yacht. Do you have an onboard fax receiver? Yes, we do. We're going to send you over a fax of the ship's description, sir. Please let us know when you have completely received the facts. Okay. The sea skimmer's captain waited for the fax to come through, then smiled as he looked at the drawing. I've got it. Sir, have you seen this ship? Nope. Can't say I have. A pause. Sir, are you absolutely sure you haven't seen this ship? Yes, I'm sure. Never seen it before now, until looking at this here picture. Sir, said the first lieutenant. At the bottom of the fax is a phone number to HQ. If you spot this ship, notify us ASAP. It's considered hostile and may contain life-threatening weapons. You understand. Yes, I do. Do you have any questions, sir? Nope. Can't say that I do. Thank you, sir. Please keep your eyes open, as your assistance would greatly help the United States of America at this time. First Lieutenant out. The captain of the sea skimmer watched the helicopter fly off. When they were nearly out of sight, Cal called for Catherine and the Dark Assassin. They're gone. It was close, said Catherine. An hour earlier and they would have caught us. Well, him hijacking this ship. She pointed to the Dark Assassin leaning against the wall of the bridge. If they happen to find the sunken ship, said the Dark Assassin, then they'll find the bodies from the owners of this ship. It'll throw them off our trail for a while we're in the clear. They'll probably never find the ship, said Cal. The dark assassin looked at Catherine. Are we on course? Yes, we'll be there in a couple of days. You, he pointed to Cal. Go below and take care of our passenger. Cal turned and went downstairs, thinking to himself about how much he wanted to be back on land. The dark assassin was starting to get to him, but what could he do? 5.35 PM. Can I help? Oh, it's you again, said the same elderly Red Cross volunteer as before. You know, last time you were here, you were very rude. A person in your position should develop better people skills, don't you think? Agent Brown looked at the woman and suppressed the urge to verbally abuse her. I'm looking for. Don't tell me. She interrupted. Lisa Duquesne again, Everyone knows how badly you treated that poor woman after she lost her husband. You all should be ashamed of yourselves. Your behavior puts a bad taste in everyone's mouth about the people working for our government." Agent Brown, along with the other two agents, stared at the woman without responding. Another thing, she continued, I don't care who you are, you have no right to treat anyone like they're beneath you. Yes, ma'am, Agent Brown responded. Now. If you're looking for Lisa Duquesne, she's not here. Where is she? asked Brown, agitated. The woman stared at him expectantly. Brown sighed, please. Now, did that hurt? I don't think so. Ma'am, if you would so kindly tell me where I can find. She's been moved to a local hotel. I'm not authorized to tell you where. You have to see my supervisor. Then why, didn't you just tell? Agent Brown interrupted Redmond. Thank you, we won't be bothering you any further. Have a nice evening." The three agents turned and walked away, leaving the woman confused. She was looking forward to giving them a hard time about where her supervisor was. "'Guess I showed them,' she thought. "'We've got to find Duquesne,' said Redmond, perplexed. "'No problem,' said Brown. "'I'll make a call to see if our tracker was in place to follow her. If not, then we'll get the information from the hotel.' Felisa sat in front of the television listening to the latest cable news about the Loveline disaster. She listened carefully to the statistics of 50 injured, of which 5 were attacked by sharks, 10 known deaths, 2 were badly eaten by sharks in critical condition, and 3 passengers missing. Her dinner lay untouched at the edge of her bed. It was understandable why she didn't have an appetite. The statistic of 3 missing passengers was all too personal for her. Yes, she felt sorry for the other passengers who had problems during this disaster, but her disaster was still prevalent. Lisa looked at the glass of coke on her nightstand and took a sip. The Beckmans were probably behind Sean's disappearance. But why? She thought. Lisa ignored the TV, buried her face into her hands and mumbled. Lord, I know that I must be strong, but I really don't feel it. I've lost my husband too. God knows who and where, and Anne-Marie left my children to go off and find some journal, Lord knows why, on a lone God. I know you're always with me, but I have no family with me. I'm alone, I'm scared, I have no one to talk to, and I'm being blamed for killing my husband. Tears flowed down Lisa's cheeks. She couldn't see or feel one of her guardian angels sitting next to her, holding her shoulders, and trying to comfort her. However, deep inside she knew everything was going to be fine. She couldn't know how everything would turn out or how she'd even make it through the coming tempest, but she had to keep her faith, knowing that God would work it out. Lisa wiped the tears from her eyes and focused on the television again. It's official now since all the next of kin have been notified. Here are the names of the passengers who have met an unfortunate fate in this tragedy. Nicholas and Jennifer Short, Jonathan Vaughn, Peter and Trisha Jinkerley, Angelica and Richard Garship then Charles and Ashley Sinclair. The names of those still missing are Calvin and Catherine Beckman and Sean Duquesne. The news reporter anchor turned to her co-anchor, Stacy. There's inside information that the government is currently investigating the possibility of this tragedy as a terrorist attack. It is a known fact that many passengers, once in the cold waters of the Atlantic, saw a boat hooked to the aft of the ship. There's suspicion that an unknown force of terrorists invaded the cruise ship, released the lifeboats, and detonated an explosive device. The Navy has taken control of the search for this boat, but has yet to find it. Other than the passengers' account of this mysterious boat, there's no evidence yet of a terrorist attack on either the scorched cruise ship or in the surrounding waters. No terrorist groups have claimed responsibility at this time, but will keep you up to date as more unfolds. Lisa turned off the television and looked at her dinner. She nearly jumped out of the chair when the phone rang. Her guardians glared at the phone. They knew who was on the other end. Hello, said Lisa, picking up the phone. Is this Lisa Duquesne? It depends on who this is, she responded quickly. I saw on the phone. This is Agent Brown, Mrs. Duquesne. Lisa's heart sank. I just wanted to tell you that you are the prime suspect in the disappearances of your husband Sean Duquesne and Calvin and Catherine Beckman. We highly suggest that you return to your home in Massachusetts as soon as possible. You're being watched around the clock, so please, don't try to disappear. It won't work. Once back home, you'll be contacted. Do you have any questions?" Lisa stared at the television for a while. She felt numb to the whole situation with the FBI. You're sick, she said. Mrs. Duquesne, let me assure you that this is a very serious matter, and, no, she said, shaking her head. You don't understand. You're not sick physically, but spiritually. Silence. Mrs. Duquesne, let me remind you that whatever you say will be used against you. It doesn't matter anymore. You've already plotted out what you're gonna try to do to me, but it doesn't matter, it won't work. Mrs. Duquesne, I don't think you understand. Agent Brown, there's a darkness in you that's sucking your very life away. You've aligned yourself with something that doesn't care about you, but only wants to use you to meet its own purposes. Silence, Lisa continued. You call yourself an agent and you're right. But instead of an agent protecting this country, you're an agent of darkness, spreading its sick seed throughout the land. If you continue on this course, there'll be no hope for you. Mrs. Duquesne, our conversation is being recorded. I just wanted to let you know that, brown stressed fine agent brown then let the whole world know that you serve the darkness that soiled the world since adam's first sin you serve the fallen angel from heaven lucifer you're his slave and have rendered your life into his hands which you will surely crush in due time where are these words coming from thought lisa having a third person experience she continued mr brown you tell your superiors that if they wish to pursue this matter then let's pursue it in full view of the public where you and your master will be exposed for all to see. There, take that, she thought. Silence for a very long time. Um, Mrs. Duquesne, um, I guess we'll see each other later. Bye. Soon after the call terminated Lisa heard a knock on the door. Lisa looked at it and sighed. The last thing she needed was a face-to-face confrontation. She took a deep breath, walked toward the door, and slowly opened it. The door burst open as Nicole and Brad ran to their mother, nearly knocking her over. Mommy. They both cried at the same time, hugging her tightly. Lisa began to cry as shock turned to joy. Joy that her children were now with her. Joy that her family was coming together. She'll never let them out of her sights again. Lisa squeezed her children and refused to let them go, as she saw someone lurking just beyond her sight. Pastor Matthew Bunn walked into the room after giving mother and children time to get requainted. Lisa, are you alright? he asked, still squeezing her children. I got so much to tell you, she said. 10.15 p.m. On the road again and with tears filling her eyes, and Marie drove alone on a nearly empty road toward the Canadian border. She was fully aware of the day's events and felt faint-hearted in continuing with what she had to do. If not for the dream she had earlier today, she would have definitely turned around to help Lisa out during this dreadful time. However, in her spirit she knew Sean was still alive. He hadn't received the journals she was getting. And Uri didn't even know how she was going to pull off what she had to do. Surely, all airports would be looking for her. Even if they didn't recognize her, her passport was still the same lord i know you wouldn't leave me all this way for nothing she fought as she drove down the lonely road toward montreal